part two of the vision mission. Um, if you missed last week, and you know, I think that'll be online, and you can get a CD to listen to that. Um, I will kind of touch in on some of the things that I shared last week, but I won't go into detail. Um, but this is going to be moving forward again, more than just um, when we have these vision mission times, more than an, an identity of who we are. It is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to be a part of the church, the body of Christ. That, you know what it's called in the. The New Testament that, that Paul says that, that the church is the body of Christ. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are called to be a functioning member to be about the kingdom of God and to advance the kingdom of God here on earth in the gospel of Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the hope for the earth. Amen? He is what this world needs. Uh, last week I talked about this third great institution created by God, given to us to reveal the gospel. Um, the first two were marriage and family. And we talked about God being a father this morning and that He has revealed even in marriage and family these institutions that He created when He gave, um, and He created man and He gave man the woman and they would be um, divine partners uh, to reveal the gospel. And He gave them Children, and God could have done it any way He wanted to do, and this is the way He was going to reveal even something greater about Himself. More than they're lonely and they need people around them, it's to reveal something greater about Himself. And, and God is our Father, and Jesus taught us to praise to God, our Father, who's saying, You are invited into a place called family. We are the family of God, we are the church, we are the broken, dysfunctional family of God. Amen? Welcome to the club. We looked at a couple of scriptures, they're not up on the screen last week, but uh, when Jesus was about to leave, remember his disciples, they're kind of troubled by this, but Acts 1, it says that he's ascending and uh, he goes up and, you know, again, they, they couldn't wrap their minds all around it. They saw him crucified, they did see him uh, raised from the dead. They were, they gave their hearts into this thing called the church, and most of them died as martyrs, because they, they believed who he said he was, they saw him defeat death, uh, but then he left. And you can see they're standing there in Acts 1. It's like they're standing there looking up, and, you know, he's gone. And they're just kind of, okay, you know, what do we do now? All he's told us is to go in the upper room, and we got that. And then the angel has to come and say, why do you stand here gazing? I love that. I love that. I was like, what? Where did he go? Is he coming back? Um, why do you stand here gazing? This same Jesus, you saw go, he will return one day. And the angel makes that proclamation that there will be a returning Christ one day. And until that time, we are called to be a part of His church. And so that was Acts, and He said, and Jesus said in Acts uh, 1 8, He said, You know, go to the upper room and you will receive power. And it's not just power, just for the sake of power, but He said, Power to be my witnesses. And it says, This telling people everywhere about me. That's what Jesus said. So this power is to tell people everywhere to the ends of the earth about me. And then, of course, we have, everybody knows Acts 2, there was this, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, and all this group had gathered into Jerusalem, and Jesus said, go and wait for the promise. And so the promise comes, the Holy Spirit comes, there's wind, and there's fire above their heads, and they began to speak in the languages of the people there, and, uh, and, and you know, if you're in a room and there's wind and fire, it's going to probably rock out. And it does. The people are like coming and saying, what in the world? Because they were asking, what is this? What is happening? 
and they began to hear, and you know, there's all these different people groups, all these Jews that were from different um, areas, people groups of different languages, and so they had gathered there, and the disciples began to come out and began to proclaim the gospel in their language, and began to hear the good news of Jesus. And so, they, what's happening is what Jesus said in Acts 1 8, you have the power to tell people everywhere about me, and so. Uh, this power comes, and the purpose, again, was to fulfill what Christ had said about declaring the gospel and the kingdom of God to the people. And so, again, we have the same call as the church here. What they started in that upper room is still the calling that we have. We are here because they were there. Isn't that cool? We are linked to the upper room in Acts 2. We are here because they were there. They were there because Jesus fulfilled who He said He was. He died, He rose again. And He is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession. And He said, I will return again. So in the meantime, we declare His good news to a lost world. And again, I talk about how we are in a time of great distress. And I think every generation can say that. There's hopelessness, there's searching, just like there were in the generation. There's a lot more seemingly going on at this time. But here's what the seven scriptures everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So we shouldn't be caught off guard when things are shaking and you're seeing political things shake. You're seeing, if you want to, you're wondering, political things are shaking, right? Just a little, maybe. Wow. Um, economic things are shaking. All these institutions of man are being shaken. And in Hebrews 12, it says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that which cannot be shaken will remain. And he says, you belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the author is saying this. He's saying, the church, the kingdom of God, that is the institution created by God that cannot be shaken. So when everything else is shaken, we want people to come to a place that we can find the unshakable one whose name is Jesus and belongs to his kingdom. His church, His mission, and we are called individually and corporately. We are carriers of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom is in you, it's among you. And when we're following Him, we're advancing His cause, His mission to seek and save the lost. And I believe the church, again, is the most powerful force on earth to affect true change because we are serving the one. You know, we're not powerful in and of ourselves, but we're serving the one who can truly change and transform people. Taking them from death to life. Taking them from hurt and broken to heal and restore. And so the church, the church is a powerful force created by God and allowing Him to build His church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We don't build church, He does. And so I'll talk a little bit about that last week. If you want to hear more about that or be convicted, you can listen to that message. Um, so the word of the year, I kind of each year I kind of just say, Lord, what are you saying? We go to the next screen. Uh, I showed this last week. Um, it's kind of this word awakening. It's kind of a personal revival, um, and, and, and then you can see what it means. It's a revival of the spirit. It's a realization. It's kind of a new awareness. Kind of a light. You know, yeah, that, that that light going on. And say, oh, this makes sense to me. Things maybe I've heard a lot of times. Maybe things in Scripture, but I believe God wants to give us, uh, us as the church an awakening and a new revival. And some of us, maybe you, you know, in areas where you just kind of got, maybe you just lying dormant, and, and it's like you're not alive. And, and you maybe served the Lord for a long time. God wants to give you a fresh awakening 
And he also, as he works with us, I believe that he wants to reveal more of who he is to a lost world. Again, this is about the mission and vision of the church to see lives transformed by the gospel and the kingdom of God. That we would see an awakening in our own hearts and lives so that we can see an awakening in the lives of people around us to come to know Jesus more and more. That's what I'm praying for. And I'll see verses because they're not up on the screen, but Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. And that's awakening. And he said, I, I pray that you would know God more. And that is that the wisdom and revelation and awakening to know God more. What did Jesus say in John 4 when he has ministered to this woman at the well? And then he said to the disciples, and, and, and ultimately to us as the church, he said, wake up and stay and awaken. Revive your heart. He said, look out there. He said, you have a saying that it's four months to the harvest. We live in a farm community. We understand that. We don't bring in the harvest too soon in that sense. But Jesus is saying, look up, wake up, awaken your hearts. The, the, the harvest is right. There are people that need to know Jesus. We need to be reminded of that more and more of why we exist. That's a constant thing. I want to be awakened every day to the things of God. Again, and we talked about it earlier about this song about a good, good father. And maybe lies we believe is who God is and that we've had misconceptions and um, things that maybe have happened in our life that try to define us spiritually. And I believe he wants to awaken some things and heal some things to see him for who he truly is so that we can then take that message to the world. But we need to be reminded of why we exist. And that is to advance the kingdom, advance the gospel, the good news to be lies and so this year, my, my preaching and my tears will be built around this thing to awaken us to who God is. Because here's the thing, the church isn't about us. Can I get an amen? It isn't about us. And I think that that's one of the problems when churches fold, when churches break up, when churches in a few weeks going off, preach on unity and um, in, the, in, the, in the series 52, is what happens when churches break up is they begin to turn in on themselves and we make it about us, my preferences, what I want. Um, and, and we have to get out of that sense of it being about me. It is, it is God transforms me and then we follow His example to lay down our lives for others. It's a constant thing. We live to awaken God, help me to lay down my life for others, and the more I get to know you, the more I want to love you and serve you and follow you. And if we're following him, guess where he's leading us? To lay down our life to serve others, to love others. He models in the gospel. That's why it's been kind of foreign to them, you know, the member, remember the disciples that this time going to take over. And one day he will take over, folks. Make no mistake about it. But, you know, we, we live in this you know, kind of two places. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness, and then it coexists around us. But one day, Jesus said, He will come, He will rule and reign forever and ever. But He stepped into the darkness to bring light. But then, when His disciples said, This time you can take over, they thought, You know, we're on the winning side. We see that He has authority and power. He can do, you know, when are you going to beat all the bad guys and we win? And Jesus said, here's how I'm going to beat the bad guys. It's going to look really different. I'm going to die and lay down my life and be a servant. If you want to be great, be a servant, lay down your life. You're like, okay, that doesn't make any, you know, we watch sports and that's not how it works. I mean, we wouldn't see a football team go out there, all right, guys, here's the, here's the plan. We're going to let the other guys win. Don't play that hard. Let them run by you. 
No one would ever think that. But in this upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, but, but what looked like defeat was the greatest victory. Because we have eyes to see what He is doing. And so we are called, the, the church isn't about us. We are called to advance the gospel by laying down our lives to serve, to give, to make eternal investments. Eternal investments into the hearts and lives of other people. And that's why this whole thing is stewardship. You hear the word stewardship, it's management. It's saying, I want to be faithful to what God has given me, to give it back to Him, to allow it to be used for His glory, to see life transformed. And so the call to us as followers is the call to generosity. God loved the world so much that He was. Gave. God loved, He gave. The church is called the generosity. We are loved by God, and so we give. We love Jesus so much that we give. We give of our time. We give of our energy. We give of our talents. We give of our resources to advance the kingdom of God here. Do what He has called us to do. It's a beautiful thing. And so you have this Acts 1 8. You know, you receive power to be my witness. You have early Acts 2. They're speaking the language of the people to advance the gospel. Let's look at what was happening in that first century church. And I want to kind of point us to what God might be speaking to us. So here's, here's what's going on at the end of Acts 2. So all the believers were together and had everything in common. Great unity was happening. And that's when we talk about unity is that we understand that we have a common enemy that's trying to destroy us. One thing that will drive unity is persecution. They had intense persecution, and so arguing about the color of the temple carpet or what type of coffee we're going to have in our coffee shop, when you are threatened to be killed, that's probably not going to be that important to be fighting with other people about they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. I mean, do you, you see the part in the life of the gospel? You see, they see what Jesus has done for them, and it's just making them just incredibly generous. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad sincere hearts. They were connecting with each other relationally. They were being a part of what God was doing. Uh, they were hearing meals. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. He said, then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church growth. And I'm here to tell you as a pastor, it's not about numbers. It's not about adding our numbers to say, oh, look how awesome, look how many people we have. I've never been interested about that. But if you're interested in advancing the gospel, we want more people to know Jesus. And so you're naturally going to have church growth. Again, not that that's our focus, that on Facebook, we have 15,000 people at our church, you know, look at how awesome you are. I want to say God is good to be touching and changing lives and using our church to do it. Jump up to Acts 4. Let's look at that one. Here's again. All the believers were in what? Come on, say it out loud. I'm going to get you involved. I'm not going to fall asleep. They were in what? One heart, one mind. One heart, one mind. It's unity. Listen to this. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. That's a radical revelation. Right? 
They did not claim that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Okay, this is what was going on. When the Holy Spirit came and gave them power, again, it was not just power to help. These were the revelations they were getting. This was the initial things that were saying, this is what I believe about Jesus. He was generous. He was good. And so, it all is his. And, and I want to love my brother and sister. I want to be unified. And I want to be a part of the vision mission that God has called to. And even my own stuff is not my own. They feel everything they have with great power. Notice the predecessors of power was they were sharing it. They didn't have a current claim anything of their own. But with great power, they often continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's the mission. So the same. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. All that there were no needy persons among them. They were meeting needs and touching people. For them, time to time, those who owned land or houses that were stolen, they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone that need. See what's going on here? So these principles, the fruit was that, again, the church was growing. And so Luke is writing this, he's commending them and saying, This is how the church is growing. How does the church grow? Unity of religion. Incredible generosity, meeting regularly together, relationally connecting to each other, revelation that my stuff isn't my stuff, a regular testimony of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. They even trusted their leadership. That's a revelation. It's there. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. They came and laid the, the, they would sell stuff and they would lay the money to be. I'm not asking you to do that. Please. Start laying money on my feet. I might get a little weirded out by that. But here's what's going on. I mean, that their hearts are coming alive. And there was this sense that there's a vision mission and that we trust our leaders to do, here's the money. Do whatever you want with it. It's not mine anyway. And we trust you. There, there must be a trust of leadership. And, 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 and again, a good question that we always ask when you're part of a church, any church, whether you are here and stay here and later on in God, whatever God's doing, whatever church you need to say, do I believe and agree with the vision and mission of this church? Are they advancing the gospel? Are they preaching truth? And, 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 and if I'm a part of that, then I'm really a part of it. And so the idea was just that there was a trustworthiness that was happening. And then, because of that, the fruit was there were many, many people coming in across. The church was growing. And so then as time goes on, churches were being established among the Gentiles. These were a lot of Jews that we just read about. But then Paul, who's this, you know, pretty major power player in the Jewish community who was a Pharisee, Jesus confronts him because he's persecuting Christians. He's rounding them up and he has a mighty conversion. And the Lord calls him to preach to the Gentiles and plant churches among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and saying, this is not just for the Jews, this is for you guys. And because of what happened there, we're here. Right? Thank God. It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, it's for the non-Jews. And so, one of uh, one of the places that Paul plants churches is in, in Ephesus, where they have the, the letter to the Ephesian church. Um, his friend, young Timothy, was a pastor there. And so, um, in the book of First and Second Timothy, it's it, it Paul's letter to Timothy on how to do church, right? I mean, he's telling him how to pastor people, how to work this out. You know, they didn't have a manual. You know, these are the first things these churches are being born, and Paul gives him direction. So listen to what Paul says and see if it really relates back to even what was happening in Acts. So let's look at 1 Timothy. 
He says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. A firm foundation for the coming age. What was he talking about? The things that we do, guys, if Jesus doesn't return, the things that we do lay a foundation for the next generation. It's the coming age, he said. This is going to lay a foundation for what's ahead. It's not just about us. It's about even next. That's why I don't want our church just to, you know, just age out and, and the doors close. That happens to many churches. Think about the next generation. It's just so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Who is that? Who is Jesus? In other words, he says, keep this going. The things that happen in Acts, keep it going. Be generous. And what is he doing? He command those who are rich to be generous. Here's the thing, we're rich, folks. If you, if, if, here's a little number. If you make 30,000, at least 30,000, you are in the top 1% of the world's most wealthy people. Isn't that an amazing stat? We are rich. It keeps things in perspective when you hear that. And I know in American money and all that, that's, that's not as much. But... This, this, this kind of diversity to think that, that, that being generous and giving is for someone else to do. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And he's saying, Paul tells Timothy, how to continue and advance the vision and mission of the gospel and the kingdom. And he's basically repeating what happened when the church started. Command them to put, not put their hope in money. It was it's a temptation back then. Remember, in the first century, it's a temptation now. Put our hope in money. And that Powerball went up to 1.3 billion, man. People were playing it hard. Because if I can get, the problem is, again, I said this last week, most of those people, they wish they wouldn't have won it. But we always think, I'll be different. Try me. I'd like to see if I'm going to, you know. But we put our hope in money. And Paul said it's fleeting. Money is just a tool and nothing else. It was never intended to turn in on itself or be a driving factor in our lives. A lot of times it is. He said, put your hope in God first, who should be the source of our enjoyment. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things or that, you know, that having money is wrong. I'm not, please understand, I'm not saying that. Some people have said money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard that? You know, that's an incorrect statement. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, you begin to put your hope and your trust and your love and your people. And you're driven by money. And he said it's, it's, it's the root of evil. But the thing about money, does it drive you? Does it control you? My, my father-in-law has a really good friend who's a retired farmer in California. Farmers can, can relate to this. And I got, uh, he and I got to meet him many years ago. He's a hugely successful farmer. Now he's probably done to his operations. And he... He has done really, 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 really well. Does that help you understand financially? But the thing about Arlie, he, when he first moved to California, they, 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 uh, he ended up doing sweet potatoes, but he did cotton, and uh, 
he and his brother got into farming, and, and, and they, you know, they leveraged a lot to get into farming, and, and the farmers understand, I mean, it was, it was a lot to get into it, and they made some huge financial sacrifices. And in that time, when they did it many years ago, there was a dust storm that came and wiped out all the cotton in the area. And this dust storm comes, and he is just like, oh my goodness, he's a young man, he's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And so he calls his pastor, and he's like, I really don't know what to do. The pastor, this older man, comes out, and uh, he's just kind of one of those kind of, you know, tell it like it is, kind of, and he, the pastor goes, well, he's looking around, and still, he just walks out in the middle of his field, gets down on his knees, and he said, Lord, these men tithe, and he said that you would rebuke the devourer on their behalf, and so I'm asking that you would do that and save the cotton crop. And he gave it up, and he goes, well, that should do it. These, they were the only cotton that survived in that region. And so this was something that began to define Arlie's life. Um, and did I mention he does really, 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 really well? This is a guy that's completely untied to money. Though. He gives, he is one of the most generous people. My father-in-law used this story because of the principle of tithing that I'm going to get into in a moment. But he told my father-in-law, he said, I, I can't give it away fast enough that the Lord just keeps giving it back to me. Um, their church in California, they did, they were doing a big rebuild. At, um, you know, they were doing a new building because they had outgrown it. And, um, and the Lord said, give them $1 million. You have that kind of money laying around it. So he does, and he's just like, he's just, he's just so unattached to money, and he just gives it. And then a deal went through, um, there was a big farm that we went through, and he said, by the end of like a couple of weeks later, he got a check for three million. And he told my phone, he said, I'm trying to give away, and I can't. I'm like, try me. <laughs> um, but this guy, if you met him, and you know, and, and I met him, he's so unassuming. If you walked in the room and you begin to talk to him, you would never think that he's really, 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 really doing well. He just—he's just, he's, he's not attached to him. He lives in, in a modest home. He just—I I mean, he's just unassuming, and and he's just so unattached. He has peace. He doesn't like rise and fall. Oh my goodness. And, Fear doesn't grip him, and maybe the weather is not all. He just doesn't live there. He just, he just lives above it. And it's because he just believes and trusts God. And so Paul said, Command them to, be, to do good, unity, loving each other, relationally connected, rich in good deeds, serve with the church, reach out, give your time, your talents to the ministry of the church, be generous, give of your financial resources so that the church can accomplish what it's called to accomplish. This is how the church was back then. You see it in Acts and, and what Paul is telling Timothy. And it's no different now. Now let me pause. I rarely talk about money in church, so please don't run home and say, oh, the church just wants my money. You know, I don't do that. I rarely talk about this. See, guys, God doesn't need our money, but He wants our hearts. Right? And a lot of times, what is our heart very connected to is our money. That's why the rich young ruler came to Jesus. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes, go sell everything. Come be my follower. Give it to the poor. And this guy was disappointed and walked away dejected. Because Jesus, again, not that, I'm not saying that Jesus wants everyone to do that. That was not necessarily a command for all people. He just saw that money was the closest thing to this guy's heart.
And so then how did this play out? How did, I'm convinced that God has given us the most simple, practical, yet spiritual and brilliant way to understand all of this. It's called tithing. I mean, I know, I know what people think when they tithe, but it's beautiful and spiritual. Tithing is an amazing thing that God gave humanity to provide for it and advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. And what does tithe mean? Tithe means a tenth, the first tenth of your income. That's what it means in the Bible. The first tenth of your increase to the Lord. The first tenth. For every dollar you make, you bring God a dime. And you give it to your local church. Not other ministries, not TV ministries, not other ministries. The first tenth is your tithe. You'll see in the Bible they talk about tithes and offerings. That other stuff is offerings. It's where you are a part of the local church. It's where you call the church home. It's where your relationship is connected. It's where you're part of the ministry, the vision, the mission. That's where you bring your time. Tithing is a beautiful act of worship in the, in the area of giving. Um, to help us understand the purpose and power of tithing, you, again, you change your perspective. What are the things afterwards is no one claim that possessions were their own. When, they, when you're followers of Jesus, we start understanding that nothing is ours. It's all His. My life is His. My time is His. My resources are His. It's all His. And they understood that. They didn't put a claim. They said, we follow Jesus. We see His model. The power of the Holy Spirit is revealing that nothing is ours. He's the owner. We are the manager. So the tithe isn't me giving God 10% of what I make. It's actually God giving me 90% of what it is. Doesn't that help you feel like God is way more generous than we think? Oh, he's saying, here's, here's the money, and God is saying, no, actually, I'm keeping 10, I'm giving you 90. Think about that in a business thing. Let's say that you were the store manager, and the owner comes to you and says, I have a deal for you. I want you to manage my store, and I'm going to give you 90% of all profit, and I'm keeping 10. We would all sign up for that today. Where do I sign up for that? That's tithing when you understand the perspective that it's not mine. We get ourselves into trouble when we think it's mine. And if I have something left over, I'll bring it to God. And God is saying, no, it's actually, I'm giving you 90, and I'm keeping 10. That's tithing. Then some people will go, well, wasn't tithing a part of the Old Testament law? Actually, no, it wasn't. It started way before the law. Abraham gave a tenth, and you see the tithe happen. He goes to this priest called Melchizedek. It's a very mysterious figure in the Old Testament. And Abraham gives him a tenth of all of the tithes. And it was seen as a fact of worship. Now, the law of Moses included it because it was a brilliant way that God designed to provide for the temple. Right? Jesus even endorsed it in Matthew 20, uh, I think it's 23, and he's talking to the Pharisees. Now, he's rebuking the Pharisees, and he says, you guys talk about tithing, um, you know, but you're missing out on the greater things of, of, the, of the law, like mercy, and you're taking care of people. He said, you should tithe. And so he doesn't diminish tithe. He said, you should. But also don't forget the other stuff. In other words, don't just write a check. I want you to give your heart. And so he endorsed it says, we need you, we need your heart. Then in Hebrews, in the New Testament, 
It tells us that Jesus is our great high priest, and it points back to the reality of the Old Testament and that Old Testament way of, that they had a high priest, and they said Jesus fulfills that. And then here's what it says in Hebrews. It's very interesting. Jesus is a high priest in the order of who? Now, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And this mysterious figure who we don't have a lot of information about now, Jesus, that all we know is that Abraham gave him a tenant. And so if Jesus is a high priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek, I think it makes sense that he's saying that the tithe is still something we should be doing. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, you can look this up later if you want to, verses 13 and 14. Paul makes it clear, he talks about how the temple and the priest were provided for back in the Old Testament. He said, you should do that in the same way. That was what he was referring to, the tithe. 10% of our income. Tithe is not our time. Time is not other things. We don't tithe other stuff. Like, I'm going to, instead of giving my tenth, I'm going to do this in place of my tithe. No, the tenth is the first tenth of your income. That's what that means. And what does God do? He uses it to advance the gospel. And then in Malachi, one of the most pointed passages. I'm not going to read the verses before that because it's pretty hardcore. Now it's kind of the prophet says, can a man rob God? And it says, the people say, well, how are we robbing God? And he says, you're robbing God by withholding your tithe. And then he goes in to say this, bring, bring the whole time into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Most scholars believe that that is an Old Testament picture fast to the New Testament of your local church. It's where you are fed. It's where you bring food. And you see what he's saying, that there may be food in my house. Trust me in this, because the Lord Almighty is true. I will not open the floodgates in heaven and pour out so much of a blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will drop their fruit before it is right for the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And he's saying, your generosity, I will... I see that, and I pay attention to that, and I will bless you, and I will take care of you. So the storehouse, again, is the local church, where there is provision for the vision. It plays out practically and spiritually, which is very spiritual, right? It's how we pay our bills, how we have lights on, how we have a building, the operating costs of the church, the pays the salaries of the staff. Um, it, you know, it's investing in the building to make it hospitable and welcoming. Just like when you make investments in your home and you do a renovation, paint, new carpet, you are making it hospitable and welcoming. You invest in the ministry, the outreach to our community. And again, we don't tie to other ministries. That is an offering that's separate from the tithe. What does tithing do? It teaches me to put God first. It's a constant reminder. That blessings come from Him, that what I have is this. He can do more with 90% than I can do with 100. It's a trust. It releases your heart from being gripped and owned by your money. It's not mine. It's saying, God, I, I'm, I'm not attached to you. You might say this. I would have to drastically change my life, rearrange my financial priorities to tithe. And I would say, yes. Yes, you do. And I would not ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. It's not just about you. It focuses us to do, to do something very spiritual, that we manage and steward very wisely. Um, there was a pastor that was talking about this one time. I got to hear this. He said there was a guy in his church that 
fresh out of college and he got this entry-level position um, at, a, at, a, at a corporate office and, uh, and he was making about 30000 a year um, to start out. And, uh, you know, obviously it's not quite where he wanted to be, but he had heard this. He'd never heard on tithing and he started tithing and the Lord was really taking care of him and, I mean, just, you know, providing for his needs. Came to the pastor and said, man, this thing works. I'd never heard this. This thing really does work. And so, God began to bless him. He actually got it within a couple of years. Got advanced up to where he was making two hundred thousand dollars a year. So then he met with the pastor and he said, "Man, I got to tell you, it's, it's hard for me to think about tithing two hundred thousand. So it was way easier to tithe thirty thousand. I'm not sure." And he's wrestling with this. And so the pastor said, "I tell you what, I'm going to pray for you. He's looking for counsel. So I'm going to pray for you that God takes you back down to thirty thousand so that you'll still understand the tithing hurts." Like, don't, don't, don't pray that. It's, just, it's way easier to tie on this and then, because you see it and you start doing the numbers and you start and it kind of freaks you out, but the, the principle is the same. It increases my faith in God. It's believing that God is good on His promises. Sometimes it's easier to give it if you have something left over than the first penny. And I'm going to tell you, because we live a life of it, but you know, it doesn't make sense on paper. If you're trying to make sense on paper, it won't happen. It's a very spiritual thing, and it is a blessing. I can tell you, um, when we were first married, we were doing this because we were both raised to do it. Obviously, Athena's dad is a, he's a spiritual director um, of, for a long time. He took he believes it wholeheartedly. Um, he's been here and actually shared on this uh, before. Um, but he... Uh, so he instilled in her, my folks had instilled in me, but you know, we we were we were rich in love but we were poor in stuff, let me tell you. And I remember one time one of the most difficult times of our lives, I got I got laid off and uh, and I went to the unemployment office and I was drawing a, a massive seventy two bucks a week unemployment. And which was funny because there's this guy that would help me and I would lay carpet with him every now and again and I would, if I could make a couple hundred bucks with him, they would drop my unemployment because I was bringing in the big bucks to him, you know. And I remember, right, you know, giving, I can't remember if I wrote a check or whatever, but I, I remember giving, like, you know, that eight bucks, you know, 72 bucks, and that's all we made in one week. I remember just giving that in an offering thing. God, I don't get it, but I'm, I trust you. That was a hard eight bucks to give, especially when you're laid off and you have a wife who's pregnant with your first child, and we're just struggling. Within, I think within about ten days, I, I ran into my old tennis coach in, in college. And I was not, uh, I was not in college any, any longer, but I ran into him over at the college. I was there for some reason, and he said, "Hold on, just a second. I've got something for you." And he runs to his office and he brings me an envelope, and he said. I can't tell you that this is an anonymous, he said, but uh, someone said that, that God had put you on their heart and, um, and he said, just pray, pray for the giver. That's all they told me to tell you. Now, I was up with $100. Okay, 100 bucks when you're doing when, when you're where we were, that was like the $1.3 billion on the lottery. I think I kind of. But it was just, it, it, to me, it was just God saying, I will provide for you. This is this is a godly thing that I'm asking you to do. 
He doesn't promise riches, but he does promise provision. And that we can take him at his word. He's not a cosmic genie, but he proves himself faithful over and over. I've got a million stories if you want them. But it releases our hearts not to be driven and controlled by money. And sometimes that's the blessing. Sometimes you have peace and place of fear. God, you know, sometimes we just, you, you know, give you a more tender heart or not be dictated by stuff. And here's the thing that he would not ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do. He's the most generous. That while we were sinners, rejecting the rebellion of God, he gave his best, he gave his time. He gave his very best. He could give him God. And if you're still not convinced, this passage is the only place in the Bible where you have to God saying, test me. It's not a good idea to just generally test God. But this passage, my passage, God says, test me in this. In other words, try it. See if I don't prove myself. And so, if you've never been convinced of this idea and, and you feel wrestling, and, 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 and also I make myself available to talk to you, pray with you, process with you, if you ever want to do that for some time. And, you know, I'm not here to keep you around and, and make you feel guilty, or I'm just telling you it works, and this is the way God said that, and this is the blessing to get help. But God is testing in this. And so, I'd encourage people do a three month test, do a six month test, do a one year test in different timing. If you're going to have to make some priority with your finances, you might get tested by the enemy in it, but I guarantee you. And so we, we tested. Don't take my word for it. Take his word. And so the revelation again that we have to remind ourselves of, no, it's not ours. Because sometimes people get conditioned. If I agree with the vision and mission, I will give. But if I don't, I won't. And people do that. That's a wrong thing. That's, that's still you are God of your money and God is mine. That's that trustworthiness. The New Testament follows what Jesus gave. It wasn't an option. It was a joy. A part of their hearts that they were just saying. They didn't have any, they, they, they just looked at everything. It's not even ours. And we're willing to just give. And here's some money. And you guys need the needs of people. You guys see the needs. We're just, there was so much joy in it. Because they wanted to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And there's a study done. My father-in-law was a part of the study, but you know, he said, if, just, if people would just buy, we wouldn't have to do like, you know, uh, once a month we have a, we have a mission offering. You know, if everyone tied, we wouldn't have to have a mission offering. We would be good. In a few minutes, I'm going to show you our vision fund. These are extra things above our, our general fund that we're asking you to be a part of this year. If everyone tied, we wouldn't have to do a vision fund. We would all be taking care of Gives you an idea of that if you tie it and enables us to do what we're called to do. And the sign of churches, you know, and sometimes you go and visit places, and if you go to a church that is alive and it's growing, there's some things happening there usually. But it's people that, that, that again, it's an action principle. We are part of the vision mission. We have a you know, it's kind of a, probably even a bad term, but we have a buy-in with all of our heart. We have a buy-in to the vision. We believe in it. We give to it. And you see churches growing, and they're able to reach more people and do more. Uh, again, not just our money, folks. God wants the heart. God doesn't want to put checks in you. He wants all of you. Your time, your talents, your purposes, the plans that He has for you. He wants all of us. And so... He wants us to function. He wants us to accomplish that which he's accomplished. And please, I'm praying, I've been praying all week that this would not be a downer that the pastor would want to money. Don't go away with that. 
My heart is that we see what God is invited us to in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And if you look at what was going on in the first two years, he said, oh, there, there was this generosity of so we were all in. We want to serve, we want to love, we want to give, and it's not ours anyway, and we speak on you what you're doing. And, you know, and you can take God at this word. So we want to take a look at the vision fund for this year, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to give. Um, if I can be bold enough, I'm asking you to talk to I'm asking you to, to, to trust God and see if He will not for our blessing. Now, as church leaders, we have a responsibility for the, the funds of the church. We have a responsibility to steward well. And I can tell you, our leaders, our deacons, our elders, they're careful, they're mindful. When we meet each month and we have to make financial um, you know, decisions, it's, thought, it's thoughtful, it's prayerful. It's not just throwing money at a bunch of stuff. Um, last year we were off of our, our general budget about 12000 um, We were off the Disney Fund about 4000 And so we, we've, made some, we've made some cuts. And so we understand we have, it's not just about you doing something, it's about us saying, okay, where, do we, where can we make these costs? Where can we draw back some? And we want to do that. We've made costs to help offset the shortfalls. Um, just a few of those. Um, we have been supporting KCGN for some time, the radio station in the area that reaches out to the region. We've been supporting, we pull that support back. We could do it again later, but for this year we're not. Um, Pastors' conferences. Um, every year there's in the budget where it enables us to couple pastors to go to a conference. We were eliminated that out of the budget. None of us are doing that this year. Um, no raises for the staff this year. That's not the thing. <laughs> Play the violin and the stars for them. Um, it's saying that we're trying to be mindful and you know, favor the Lord and what we can do. Okay? Because we have to take an honest look at this as well. So we're just trying to. And there's other things that we've done, but we 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 cut about we did our due diligence about thirteen to fourteen thousand. We've been able to cut from the budget. But certain things we can't. I mean, the bills, the lights, the gas. You know, unless you guys want to sit in here with no heat on or something like that. Um, those things are ongoing. Obviously, we can't cut those. Uh, but this is a vision fund. This is, should be above and beyond again. This should be tithe is the first month, and then if you want to give to this vision fund, if you're still struggling about the idea of tithing, at least give to this. I'm encouraging you to do that. Um, but what we've set apart, again, it's all around reaching out to love others with the gospel of Jesus. Um, this position a couple of years ago that we set up for, for Pastor Barry, and, 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 and uh, you know, when, when, when God put it on our hearts to do this, I, I still believe that, that, that it is such an important part of um, our calling and mission the people that we're touching, the lives that, that are being touched through um, what he's doing, and it's, it's so crucial. St. Martin's Fund, if you're not familiar with that, the churches in the community in the region um, give. Um, they house that at uh, Family Services at 35, and it's to help people when they come in, maybe with groceries, maybe with um, um, you know, gas stuff to be able to and get somewhere with kind of temporary help. And so, again, this is just a you know, to love our community, to serve our community. Carry five feeding assistance, that's for folks that maybe are struggling in the winter time paying their gas bills. And I'm sure it's reaching for the weekend say we want to help in a very practical way. Awana, which is a huge outreach 
Every Wednesday night, we have kids coming in here and loving them and serving them and, and, uh, and reaching out to them. And, and that's such an important part of what we're doing. Christmas baskets, um, this used to be on the regular budget. Um, but again, there's that shortfall, we moved it over to um, the vision fund just to kind of get, let you know there's some of these things that we're doing to reach out to others. And this is to help people that maybe um, are. You know, couldn't otherwise have a great Christmas meal at Christmas time that we can serve them and love them. Um, Hope Pregnancy Center, we talked a little bit about that earlier. And then outreach events. This is a big event that we go across the streets, um, that we welcome our community, we love our community. Um, this can be um, other outreach things. Again, they're just uh, time to serve them. We need to buy supplies. Um, this is a big serve that we've done. Some of you guys have been part of. It's a weekend of serving. And so we have to buy supplies and things to, uh, to just bless our community. So that just gives you an idea. You'll get a letter from me this week if this is your church home. Um, I encourage you to be a part of that to make those pleasant. Um But again, my, my heart today is to, to invite you to be something, a part of something that is greater than all of us. And that is the kingdom of God that stands the gospel of Jesus. And I hope this don't speak to the invitation to us. And not just the pastor who talked all about money. That was not my heart. But there is something about the heart of God to help us catch His vision. His mission to waste all of us to understand Him. Thank you for your time. And then, I know this one was a little longer because we talked about vision stuff. But, um, Lord, we love you. Lord, what a privilege and honor that you have invited us to advance the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the testimony of our church, of God, would be what was going on, that, uh, that, that, that the believers here were of one heart and one mind. That, Lord, we made no claim that any of our possessions was our own, and we shared what we had, our time, our talents, our purposes. And that we would testify of the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, we just honor you today. God, we want to give a gift to you because you are worthy of that. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a new perspective. You would let this church, God, accomplish what it was called to accomplish for the purposes of God in this region, this area. Lord, may you go forward by trusting you, being generous, to love you, to serve you, and that many would come to know Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.